Hello and welcome to episode 78 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Tuesday, May 16th, 2017. Guys, it's been a few weeks. Um, we uh, we tried we tried to post an episode a couple weeks ago, um, but it seems like the news out of Duke basketball land happens like happens like in chunks that are separated by a few days. So every time we think, all right, now we have time to record a new episode, new stuff happens. Someone declares, someone commits. Uh, it's been kind of a wild ride. But before we get into that, let's introduce the group here. I'm your host this week. I'm Sam Klein, coming to you from Denver, Colorado. Uh, I am joined as always by my two partners here. Uh, first, Jason Evans in Atlanta, Georgia. Hello, hello. I haven't done anything interesting, but I think Donald, I think Donald has been somewhere really cool since we last yes. recorded. So so I was. I, that's why I was holding off and introducing him last, because my other colleague, Donald Wine, who is back home in Washington, D.C., uh, he wasn't with us. So before I ask you where you were, Donald, uh, I'll apologize to everybody. Part of the reason we took such a long break is we actually did record an episode. According to my notes, it was back in... Um, it was mid-April. It was right after Luke Kennard announced that he was uh, leaving for the draft and was staying in. And we found out that Grayson Allen was coming back to Duke. And then I think Frank Jackson may have declared right after that. And we weren't sure. Yeah. yeah. So what, what happened was we, we recorded, we recorded a special yay. Grayson is coming back podcast, which included me just gushing uh, so much about Grayson coming back. And then literally like, you know, it was taking me an extra day or two to edit it. And, and I was sitting down to edit it, and Frank Jackson declared that he was going into the draft. And right, I was so like, we oh. that episode. Yeah, um, it just it didn't work. It didn't work at all. The original episode, 78. Anyway, Don, well, it's a good thing we, we, we dropped it because Donald wasn't even with us. It was just me and Jason. Um, because Donald, Donald, where were you when we were doing that? Uh, I don't know what date you recorded it, but at the time, I, I, so people out there, hello, Donald from Washington, D.C., and I was for the last couple weeks, uh, two and a half weeks. I was in Australia and put a shrimp on the barbie. I, uh, there was there was actually a lot of shrimp, uh, none on the barbie, but all was very good. Um, I spent about two weeks in Australia and then a couple days in Singapore on the way back. Uh, I have cured myself of jet lag very quickly, uh, and now I'm back. I'm, it's good to hear from you guys. Excellent. All right. So there, there's a, a few different things going on here. Um, since we last spoke, we've had uh, we've had Fra- the, the most notable um, member of the team who has left is Frank Jackson. He's declared for the NBA. He's going to be staying in the draft. And there were a couple weeks where he was he was in the draft, but he, he could he had the option to come back. He hadn't signed an agent yet. Um, Duke hadn't put out sort of the standard, you know, congratulations to Frank Jackson for going to the league. He's going to be great um, press release like they've done for for all the other um all the other early entrants. And in the meantime, while Jackson was deciding to, and ultimately decided to leave, um, Duke got a number of commitments. Um, one from a, from a really notable recruit, Trayvon Duvall, the top point guard in the class of 2017, a guy who I think for a long time, Duke fans were expecting to come. Um, Kevin Knox, the small forward who was sort of nominally going to replace Jason Tatum in the starting lineup, decided that he would rather go to Kentucky. Uh, which I think shocked not only us and, and Duke fans, but also most of the college basketball media who sort of expected Kevin Knox to come to Duke. And then Duke also got a couple other commitments, uh, one from a small forward named Jordan Tucker, who is a four-star guy out of New York, and then a three-star uh, Jordan Goldwire, who's another, who's another guard. Um, so lots of commitments, um, a lot of guys leaving, lots of turnover in the lineup. So, uh, Donald, I'll start with you. What do you think is is sort of the biggest – um, piece of news out of all these different guys deciding to come, not deciding to come, um, going to the NBA, all that kind of stuff. So I, I think it's twofold. I think it's the departure of Frank Jackson, and then about 48 hours or 72 hours later, the uh, commitment of Trayvon Duvall to come and basically be his replacement at point guard. I think it was kind of surprising. We had talked a little bit about Frank Jackson, if he had a good year um, back in the fall, that he would you know consider going into the draft. But I think all indications as the season was over was that he was not going to. Uh, and so it was kind of a, a, a back, a, a backhanded surprise that he did declare for the draft and that he eventually stayed in um, thinking that he will probably be in the first round. A lot of people rate him kind of at the bottom of the first round, beginning of the second round. Uh, so it was kind of a surprise to see that he got whatever, you know, uh, information that he needed to say that he was going to stay in the draft and think, and, and be a first-round pick. So, hey, hey, uh, hey Don, Donald, Donald, yes. do you mind if I jump in really quick about yeah, Frank Jackson? Um, what really happened was he went to the combine. 
went to the NBA Combine, and his athleticism really tested off the charts. He was now not. It's worth noting not everybody um, uh, participates in in all the athletic measurements at the at the NBA Combine. A lot of the guys, most of the guys who are locked in as lottery picks, um, some of them don't even go to the Combine. Some of them go and they get measured, um, and then. Uh, they'll they'll do some jumping or or you know maybe they'll they'll do like a shuttle run kind of stuff so a little bit of their athleticism gets measured and then when you get to guys who are fringe first rounders or probable second rounders those guys actually play in five on five um, uh, you know scrimmages so they can show off so what happened was Frank Jackson went and uh, the uh, you know there are lots of NBA tons of NBA scouts there it's the it's the primary thing NBA scouts are doing he went and. His athletic when he did the 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 drills and as such, his athleticism was off the chart. I think I think he had like the second highest vertical leap um, of anyone in the draft. He had one of the highest scores uh, in terms of his quickness and agility across the lane. He really scored super well in these athletic measurements, which raised a bunch of NBA eyebrows. And then he played in um, a five-on-five scrimmage, and and by most accounts, he was the best player in the scrimmage. Now again, he wasn't playing against. The guys at the top, you know, wasn't playing against Dennis Smith and Lonzo Ball and and uh, Jason Tatum and the guys at the top of the draft. He was playing against guys who are considered, you know, the very tail end of the first round or early second round picks. But he looked like the best player on the floor. And a lot of people think that NBA scouts, after seeing his athleticism and seeing how he played in that game, that they sort of said, yeah, dude, you're probably going to go in the first round. Um, and, and so he... He went ahead and, and signed with an agent and, and stayed in the draft because um, he, if, if not a first round guarantee, I think he now knows that he would go at the top of the second round and still get a guaranteed contract, um, which happens to lots of guys who go in the first you know five to seven picks of the second round. And by the way, it's also worth noting that Utah has two picks late in the first round, including Utah has Golden State's pick, which figures to be probably the 30th. I think it's Golden State. It's Golden State or Cleveland. They've got a pick that's probably going to be like the 30th pick, the last pick of the first round. And Frank Jackson is from Utah, and he's you know sort of a favored son, a favorite son there in the state. And there's some speculation that Utah may have promised him that they would take him with their pick, either the number 24 or the number 30 pick that Utah has. All right, sorry. Keep going, Donald. I just want I, – I had all that stuff about Frank that I wanted to say, so – it really looks like he's going to be a first-round draft pick, which is why he's staying in the draft. Yeah, it sounded like, uh, you know, I, I I was getting back from Australia when all this was about to go down, and it sounded like that uh, he did very well the Combine and that Utah was the rumored team um, that was, I, I don't want to say promised him uh, or guaranteed him a first round, but made indications that if he was available at one of their spots that he uh, would be picked by them. So that'd be great for him. I think that'd be a great situation for him. Um, but, you know, getting Duvall right after that, um, the kid has some incredible handles, has great hops, uh, dribble penetration for weeks. And I think that is uh, going to really shape how we play uh, next year. So I think that was a good get. One thing I do want to note, you know, looking at the, the six guys that we have uh, in the class of 2017, uh, I, it sounds like Coach K has been listening to a lot of Charlie Daniels because uh, the devil went down to Georgia and got four guys. Um, from uh, the Atlanta area uh, to fill out this class. So Wendell Carter, Alex O'Connell, Jordan Tucker, I believe, played his last year in in Marietta, uh, and Jordan Goldwater is from Norcross, uh, which is just outside Atlanta. So uh, Atlanta ball, whatever was was in the water this year, I'm glad that they like Duke Blue because a lot of those guys, four of them, um, three of them in the top 100, are all coming to Duke. And I think that's going to be really, really interesting to see how they all play with each other. Jason, don't you have a bunch of sons? Like how, how are none of them part of this, this recruiting class? <laughs> my, my, my kids are, they can't take after their father. They are not great athletes. They're okay, but they're, they're not top 100 athletes. Sorry. Well, not with I, that attitude. They aren't. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Come on, man. Haven't you been watching, uh, haven't you been watching the, what's his face? The ball dad. LeVar? Um, LeVar yeah, Ball. Yeah. Yeah, Are we going to talk? I hope we don't talk no, about no, no, I, I, I don't no. want to talk about him much. I just no, moratorium. I, I declare I moratorium on LeVar Ball. Yeah. Um, um, you know, Donald, Donald picked up on something. Uh, the, the city of Atlanta and the state of Georgia, um, and I think I talked about this uh, oh, like six months ago or so on the podcast. We were talking about Georgia Tech at one point, and I was talking about the fact that Georgia Tech 
um, needed to have a big recruiting year because there has never been a crop of players from the state of Georgia as good as the ones coming out this year. There are, by most accounts, and look, everyone's top 50, top 75, top 100 changes, depending on what service you're looking at. But by most accounts, there are 12, 12 of the top 100 are players from the state of Georgia. That's a, that's a crazy number. That's a huge number. I mean, you know, we're not talking California or Texas or New York, the biggest, most populous states. Georgia's a populous state, but for 12 guys, and, and it looks like, you know, again, depending on what you're counting, it looks like about 10 or 11 of them are top 50, top 60, um, which is and really, got, really amazing. And Duke's got three dudes from that, from that cohort. They did. Duke got three of them. And, and you know, you're going to see these guys, um, uh, you know, all over the ACC next year because uh, um, Florida State has one of them. Um, Ike Ogabayu um, is, at, is going to Florida State. And uh, Louisville has signed two kids from the state of Georgia, including um, a kid named Darius Perry, who went to Wheeler, um, which is the same school that um, uh, tu- uh, uh, Jordan Tucker went to. Um, they both played for the Wheeler High School team. Uh, and uh, you're going to, these Georgia guys are going to be all over the college basketball landscape, um, and especially the ACC landscape next year. And I'm thrilled that Duke did as well as we did. Uh, Obviously the big one is Wendell Carter, um, that, that, uh, who actually goes to school literally like two miles from my house. I know a lot of his teammates, um, I I haven't met Wendell himself, but I've, I've been to some of his games because I know a lot of kids at his, his school. And uh, uh, he, he's he's a, a very big deal, but it it's a it's a really great recruiting class for Duke. Are, are we gonna uh, Sam? Are we now gonna get into the whole recruiting class? Uh, because yeah, I, I need that... to gloat a little bit. I, I need to gloat. Do you know what I need to gloat about? No, but I, I was just gonna say that that, that I, all the topics that we were gonna discuss tonight sort of all roll together because ultimately they all lead us back to what the lineup looks like for next season. So. Um, why don't you go ahead and, and launch into your your gloating about the recruiting class? I don't know what you're about to say. So I'm so what I'm going to say you is think you're, so, you're proud of yourself about what I'm going to say is, uh, do you guys recall? I think it was the last time we had a podcast. We had a discussion. What was the one thing, the one, you know, personnel thing that had to happen in the offseason that was most important for Duke? Do you was remember that? Duvall? And I said, I, I said getting Trayvon Duvall. I said Grayson Allen, so my guy's already my guy's already here. Yeah, yeah I said right. Luke Kennard, so I, lose, I I lost that prediction. You lost. That's fine. I said Trayvon Duvall, and I'm telling you, people are going to he's gonna your jaw is gonna drop. Um, Duke hasn't had a point guard like this in a long time. I mean, certainly since Kyrie, certainly since Kyrie was here. I mean, I'm trying to think. Yeah, uh, Tyus Jones was not this kind of point guard going to take the ball to the hole um, in a way no one at Duke has in a while. This is a guy who finishes um, incredibly strong at the rim. Um, he, he's a really dynamic passer. I mean, I, I sort of feel like um, other than the year we had Tyus Jones, Duke has been a little bit missing the great point guards lately uh, the past several years. Um, other than Tyus, we haven't had anybody who, who you just went, wow, that guy's in complete control of the game. And hey, um, Jason, Jason, yeah. you, you were talking about like the type of player that he is. I was talking with my uh, one of my best friends uh, earlier this morning uh, after watching like a, a mixtape that he had of his senior year. And he basically said that he was he's like, it, it, with all respect, do he's like this guy ain't Kyrie. He's John Wall or pre-injury Derrick Rose. Take your pick. And yeah, I think yeah, that's a lot of accurate. people say that. A lot of people accurate. say that. Yeah. So he just so so he accelerates just faster than you can imagine. Exactly. And, yeah, and he, just the handles are off the charts. He, he has incredible hops, like his athleticism is through the roof. He has great court vision. And, and in the end, he, he's going to dribble penetrate and he's going to the rack. And, and even with, you know, a bunch of tall trees, he's creating his shot very, very well amongst some tall guys uh, that he's been playing a lot. He plays a lot in New York, plays a lot in New Jersey. Uh, those are some big guys that he's playing against. And so he has been destroying people he had one move where he literally it seemed like he was dribbling in place but the guy that was defending him looked like he was running suicides because he was trying to stay in front of him and he just wasn't able to do it like he was it was incredible but go ahead jason well yeah and um the the john wall and the derrick rose comparisons i've i've heard a lot of that from other people part because uh 
neither one of those guys were sort of great three-point shooters. And, and the one place where Duvall, um, you know, where his game is a little deficient is his outside shot. Not to say he can't hit three-pointers. He will hit three-pointers. He'll take three-pointers. But he's not one of these guys, you know, he's not going to be Luke Kennard. He's not going to be Kyrie Irving and bury 40% of his three-pointers. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he'll, he'll be able to hit enough of them to, to keep people honest. But this guy going to the hole is just going to be, like I said, it's just something you haven't seen before from Duke a lot. And what I'm really excited about is teams have, you're going to have to adjust. If you're a, a Duke opponent, you're going to have to, you know, have your big men be ready to protect the rim. And the degree to which Trevon Duvall is going to drop off the ball to Wendell Carter and Marquise Bolden, and that those guys are going to get to just take uncontested dunks. I'm, I'm so excited for this. I think it's going to happen yeah. a lot. I think that's the key here is that having a guy like Duvall at running point who, you know, if he's the way that you say he is, where he's, he's able to get to the hole really fast and, you know, he wants to create from the inside. Um, I think that that is enormous for this team because as it's shaping up, it seems like Duke's going to play two bigs in, in Carter and Bolden. I, you know, from what we saw of Bolden, I, I don't think we expect him to shoot much outside of 12, 13 feet. I'm not sure about Carter. I haven't heard that he's that he's a spectacular three-point shooter. Um, so if Duke is going to be he, playing with a, more no, size, Carter, Carter's got a. I, again, I've seen him play some. I know people who've played with him. He, he's um, I, there are a lot of people who are skeptical about whether Carter is a uh, you know is a is a pure post player in college or whether he can be you know a stretch four and step outside. I don't know that he's going to be a a a true stretch four. You know, in the Mark Allery kind of mode. Um, or, or in the Jason Tatum kind of mode. I mean, I Jason say, Tatum. Can you, like, can you compare him to someone a little bit more current than Mark Allery? <laughs> when, sorry, when when I think stretch four, Mark Allery was like the original stretch four. You, you know Ryan, what I'm talking about? Uh, like Kelly. Jabari Parker, maybe, and like Ryan Kelly. <laughs> maybe some I'm guys showing my age. I, I also <laughs> threw, I threw a Jason Tatum in there. I, I would have said I would have said yeah. Dunleavy. I would have thrown that in there. That was a my there year. There you go. My, my, so, my time frame. There right. You go. So. but so, but but right, I was so going to say, Carter yeah. Carter can hit. He'll be able to hit shots, you know, out to nineteen twenty feet, and he he'll take some three pointers. I think. But, but I don't um, think he's going to be but, asked uh, to do that much. Right. You know what I mean? Like we'll it's not going to be exactly part of game. exactly. And and, yeah. and the Duke in recent years has really preferred to have a guy close to that size who can hit outside shots, and and you know if that's not Carter's game, then he's not going to take those shots. Um, and and knowing how much Coach K likes to spread the floor more. You know, I think that the basic lineup is going to is going to include Carter and, and Bolden, but you're not going to necessarily see them playing 30 minutes alongside each other. It's going to be one or the other. Um, and in that case, but when they are playing together, I think having a guy like Duvall is really important because maybe he leads a little bit more pick and roll. And maybe just in general, when he's when he's getting inside, he's able to dump the ball off. And like you said, he's able to create um, space for those big guys to to get easier shots and you know, as much as I think Grayson Allen can do some of that, um, it's going to be helpful to the team that he's not being relied on to do that. And, and so in, in this scenario, yeah, there's a, I, I think there, you could look at it and say, it's better to have Duvall than Jackson. I don't know if that's actually true. Um, but it sort of makes sense from an offensive standpoint that that, I, that could I, be the I, case I, that look, Duvall opens more opportunities. I, I, I love Frank Jackson. I wish Frank Jackson was coming back. I, I, I'm really, I think it's a pity. Um, even though I, I wish him luck, and I think he he's made a good decision because he's going to make millions of dollars, and how can you argue with that? Um, I really wish Frank Jackson were coming back, but uh, you know, like I said when we had this conversation, you know, a month or two ago, Trevon Duvall um, is is more important to Duke next year than Frank Jackson would have been. Um, not to say Duvall is necessarily a better player than Jackson. But I think what Duval brings to the table in terms of being a floor general, in terms of creating, in terms of being a, a truly great point guard, I'm, I'm not, I don't think Frank Jackson was there with those skills. yet. Maybe he would have developed them over the summer. I don't know. It's possible. But, um, but the Frank Jackson we had last year um, didn't have those skills yet. And, and that's why I think getting Duval was such a big deal for Duke. And, and, and I'll tell you something. I feel like on last year's Duke team, Harry Giles and Marquise Bolden were were aversely affected by the fact that Duke didn't have a a good traditional point guard. Um, you know, we had a lot of guys who sort of tried to do it, who were really they were really more wings. They weren't 
traditional point guards? I mean, there's no question. We didn't have a real point guard on the roster last year. I mean, Duke was Duke was missing Derek Thornton. That's the yes, yes, mm-hmm. and, and I think. Bolden and Giles didn't get the ball. Now, look, they didn't get a lot of playing time, but I think part of why they didn't get a lot of playing time was there was no one to get them the ball in places where they could be really dangerous. Because, and, the, um, because the offense really ran through, you know, Kennard and, and Tatum, yeah. who not that they were not that they were ball stoppers, but not that they, you know, I don't think those were guys that were looking to, you know, create space and then and then get the ball underneath. Um, it just wasn't really a exactly. game. Precisely. Um, and, and and so I think I think you're going to see um, I, I think Bolden will have a much I mean, you said Bolden stepping out to 10, 12 feet. I think Bolden's going to stay in the lane. I think you won't see Marquise Bolden more than six, seven feet from the basket most of the time. But he's going to have a much, much better season. And it's not just going to be because he's going to get more minutes, I think, and because he's going to be healthy. I think he's going to have a much, much better season because he's going to get the ball in positions where um, he can score um, very efficiently. I am also, curious to see. I'm curious to see how Duke handles the bench this year because, on the one hand, um, they've got Grayson Allen who's going to play, you know, close to 40 minutes a game. Right? We've seen, yeah. we've seen experienced guards, you know, going back like looking at at guys like Nolan Smith, um, play 40 minutes a game, playing off the ball, taking a lot of shots, doing all that. Um, Duval, it sounds like the way that you're describing him, Jason, is going to be a guy that. You can't really take off the floor. And Duke has, hello, another five-star um, guard wing in Gary Trent who's going to take a lot of minutes. I don't know how many minutes Bolden and, and Carter are going to be able to play. Bolden certainly last year didn't play that many minutes. He was hurt. Um, he had he had a couple issues towards the end of the season. Carter's going to be a freshman big, and I kind of I sort of mentally discount how much any freshman big is able to play um, just because there aren't that many examples of freshman bigs playing more than 20, 25 minutes. So I'm, I'm curious to see if, if Duke does more going small um, or if they're, if they're replacing those big guys with other big guys. So if it's, if it's more of Rankovich and, and Delorier off the bench, or if it's more, um, if it's more of, of like Jack White, uh, who's kind of in between, um, or if it's going to be um, if it's going to be Jordan Tucker, um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of ways you could sort of envision that sixth, seventh man rotation going. And then, of course, we know that that Duke isn't ever going to play more than like seven guys. Um, so, so I think there's a lot of combinations that we'll look at, and we'll probably hear a lot more as as we get into the fall and they're in practice about who really looks good and who stands out, because I think that that starting lineup is really probably set, um, but that the, the next couple guys in there could go a lot of different ways. Yeah, well, another, you, thing, another thing I wanted to mention about uh, with when Duval is driving the lane, his penetration and his able his ability to see, to see the court very well. When we have these smaller lineups, if we do go with Carter or Bolden inside and not both, uh, you're going to find there's going to be a lot of guys open on the, on the perimeter to take open jump shots, and you know, Allen's going to have a lot of open jump shots. I think Trent will also get some open looks. Jordan Tucker, you know, just from looking at him, he seems like a guy who has a very fluid stroke uh, from three-point land. Will he get on the court? Will Jack White get on the court uh, with, with those type of uh, situations where you just want a guy to, you know, stop, pop, and shoot? Uh, so, I mean, we, we obviously have, over the years, have, you know, sometimes lived by the three, die by the three. This year, we don't have a lot of people who you look at and say, that's going to be our three-point shooter. It could come from anywhere. Uh, one of our, you know, four or five guards. So that'll be interesting to see how that develops and who wins those minutes by uh, shooting well on the perimeter. Also, perimeter defense. I think some of these guys uh, have great perimeter defense, uh, Duvall being one of them, Jordan Tucker, um, Gary Trent, uh, I think have great perimeter defensive skills. But how do they hone in and how do they keep themselves on the floor, earn those minutes on the defensive end as well? You know, Gary Trent to me, uh, people don't talk about him enough. I mean, he's supposed to be the best shooting guard and the best shooter um, coming out in this high school class. Uh, so uh, this is a guy who I think Duke expects to to really fill it up, um, like you say, from the perimeter. And and look, you know, you didn't mention, and most people don't mention, I, I sort of don't understand it. I think it's because he was the first guy in the class to commit and you know, he, he isn't the shiny new thing like Jordan Tucker is. But Alex O'Connell um, is, is a wing player, uh, you know, again, out of, out of Georgia, out of Atlanta. Um, 
He, he's six five. His father attended Duke. His father played basketball at Duke back in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex O'Connell is uh, a top sixty recruit. There, there are there are more than a few, you know, recruiting gurus who think that Alex O'Connell is a better recruit than Jordan Tucker is. Um, uh, this he's another kid who really could compete. And and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Coach K won't do it this way. But I sort of feel like. And maybe it's wishful thinking because every year I, I, I wish that Coach K would play more guys. I sort of feel like the best thing that Coach K could do would be to give a lot of these guys, because none of them are, are obvious, clear, you know, none of them, another guys I'm going to talk about are, are one and done or even two and done kind of players. None of them are, are McDonald's All-Americans. Um, I think, you know, K should sort of give them all chances and see who's the hot hand, see who performs best in games. And I'm talking about Alex O'Connell. I'm talking about Jordan Tucker. I'm talking about Jack White. Um, and I'm talking about uh, Javin Delorier and, and Vrankovic. I mean, Delorier and Vrankovic, you know, clearly are big men and the other three guys are, 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 are wings. But, you know, rather than just say, yeah, it's going to be Delorier and Tucker, and and just you know seal O'Connell, you know say O'Connell doesn't play at all. I really hope that they all get chances, and um, a that'll keep them happy. Um, B I think competition is a good thing in terms of motivating people and and you know forcing them to play hard. And 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 C uh, I I think these guys all deserve chances, and and I think they can each bring different things to the table for Duke. Yeah, and and that, that's what I said. You know, I I don't know which way it's going going to go. Um, I, I would discount any predictions about bench guys that rely on them scoring a lot because between uh, Duvall and Allen and Trent, I think that most of the scoring is going to come from them. And then, and then Carter should score a fair amount. Um, so well, wait, hold you know, on, hold those, on. Those, this those... Be fun. Hold on. Pre, 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 yeah. pre, preseason. I, I, I bet we would all, all three of us would say that the leading score next year is going to be Grayson Allen. Am I right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Who do you guys think will be the second leading scorer? Sam, go first. Trayvon Duvall. Donald? Oh. What? <laughs> I think I that didn't was right. what you say. Uh, I, I think, honestly, uh, I mean, this is very early. Uh, I'm going to say Trent. All right, so I'm going to say Wendell Carter. I, I really, I, I think. Um, You're not wrong. Neither of you are wrong. I don't I think, think any of us I are think wrong we- yet. I think Wendell Carter uh, is going to remind a lot of people of, Carl, uh, of Carlos Boozer. I, I mean, I think he's that refined in terms of his moves in the post. Um, I, I think he's going to be another Carlos Boozer kind of player for Duke. And, and I think that that would be a great thing. I just, you know, like I said, I think that, that freshman bigs take some time to grow into their roles. And, and even, even well, like Jabari, Jabari Parker didn't take time to grow into his role. That's true. I, I see. I see. I I think of Jabari Parker as being more of a wing player, um, right? Not that he took a ton of threes, but he took a couple. Um, he did. He he made a lot of moves from outside. So and here's the here's the other difference. Jalil Okafor. Jalil Okafor didn't take time to go into his role. And look, I'm not saying that Wendell Carter well, has the post moves of Jalil Okafor, but right. Wendell Carter, but, but even really Okafor, really good player in the post. Even Okafor, I, don't, I Okafor was like was like the third or fourth leading scorer on the team. I don't think he was second. Um, so, so Eli, I, that's I honestly I was going to say that that he, and I don't have his stats in front of me and I would look him up but I'd have to type and all that but but Okafor I think only ended up averaging like like twelve points a game or something like that I think it was freshman th- season I'm so, looking it up right now so but the other thing not be more wrong tell me Jalil Okafor tell led me. the team in scoring at seventeen point three points per what? game Jalil Okafor right, was our leading remember. scorer all right at seventeen all points back. per game I take it all back Wendell Carter is going to be the leading scorer on the team. I didn't say that. I don't even know why. I don't even know why I play. Why I play these games? No, but um, I, I think I think I think Sam is, has a point here in the fact that it traditionally takes a while for big men to adapt to the game, and the reason why is because they have to have someone give them the ball every single possession. Wendell Carter is not going to be. This is Wendell why not going to be dribbling. Is not going to be bringing the ball up the court like Jabari did, or like you know, even like Ingram did. There are times where Ingram played point forward. Uh, but when you have a big man that needs to be distributed the ball, traditionally, and that's not. It's not. There are exceptions. Okafor being one of them. It traditionally takes a little bit for those guys to get into the flow of the game because they have to figure out how they can get the ball twenty to thirty times a game. This is why I said Trevon Duval was the most important player that could show up at Duke next year. 
Correct. A, a month ago because he is going to get the ball to Wendell Carter. Jason, there you go. Please, please remind us in the spring when this is all happening. <laughs> no, I, because because it's great. I mean, if, if you're right about this, then it's great, right? It, it means that that Duke has has dimensions to their offense that they have not had very often in in the last few years, um, and that would be really exciting for all of us, but especially for you because it means you'll be right. Um, yes, well, I want to. And, and I should point out at this point that I sort of thought that I was going to be saying the same thing things about Harry Giles. And I could not have been more wrong about that. Right. So sure. Yeah. Um but hey, keep keep jumping on that prediction wagon. It's not like anyone's checking you. Um so <laughs> so just just keep doing it, man. Uh, you know, you gotta play your game. I, I, I do before we before we wrap up and, and do sort of our parting shots, um I, I wanted to circle back to Frank Jackson and kind of have a, a quick, real quick meta discussion about the whole one and done Duke recruiting NBA draft kind of situation that's gone on the last few years. Uh, and I, and I want to get your guys' honest takes because, you know, five, six years ago, maybe a little more um, Duke fans, I think we're a little, we're a little wary about the whole one and done thing. And then um, 2015 happened, uh, Duke won a championship predominantly with with one and done players. Although Quinn Cook was was perhaps like the most important player on that team, and Emil Jefferson played a big role. Second leading scorer. Um, Quinn Cook, right. second leading scorer on that team. Thank you, thank you for reminding me. Um, but <laughs> but it, it, you know, looking at the whole landscape that, that Duke has lived in, um, it seems like more often than not, Duke has not lived up lived up to expectations as a team with these one and done players, even though. You know, for the most part, I think we we'd all agree that they've been um, solid contributors to the team. For the most part, they seem like they've been participating in, in sort of all the all the Duke things, right? They're in the Blue Planet videos, and and by all accounts, they're going to class and and doing the community service stuff, all the things that you sort of expect from a Duke basketball player. But they're not sticking around. And even even a guy like Frank Jackson, who coming in, you know, we said a few minutes ago, yeah, he's like he he could he could really blow up. And end up in the draft, and and I wouldn't be surprised if we go back through the archives if one of us said, "Yeah, Frank Jackson leaves." That means that things went really well for Duke this year, because because only in a situation where he played out of his mind in the tournament um, would would you see the guy who's you know not even projected to be a starter on the team being able to go to the draft, and and here he is going to the draft, and and like we said. Um, he might end up at the back of the first round, maybe early second round, is going to get a contract, is going to get to play in the NBA most likely next year. Um, so I, I just want to get both of your opinions about kind of how that's, how, how you feel about that. Um, th there was a, there was, a, I saw something in the media, I don't remember exactly where it was, but about how Grayson Allen is is very much the exception to the rule here because Grayson Allen is a five-star recruit who's going to end up staying four years at Duke. He's going to play with some like close to 40 different guys in his time at Duke. And I, I'm just not sure how I feel. So Jason, your general thoughts on, on the whole one and done thing at Duke. Um, Cause it's tough. And, and, and if you don't have an answer, yeah. um, maybe, you know, maybe we, we postpone this to the next episode. No, no, I, no, 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 no. We, we should talk about it. It's fresh right now. And this is, yeah. uh, there are Duke fans all over the country who are wrestling wrestling with this and it's not easy to figure out you know duke is losing seven of our top eight scorers and minutes played and everything else from last year seven out of our top eight players and, and only two of those guys only two of them are graduating the only two of them graduating it's 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 frustrating as a fan we fall in love with players over the course of time and i'm not saying look I loved watching Brandon Ingram play. I loved watching Jason Tatum play. I loved, I really loved watching Luke Kennard play. But, you know, if they're there for two, three, four years, that's more play you get to watch. That's, you get more connected to them. Um, you get more invested in their success. And you have to think that they get more invested in Duke's success. Uh, and, and God, I mean, isn't developing a player, isn't, isn't watching them grow isn't that a huge part of college basketball? I mean, there's something incredibly satisfying about the way Emil Jefferson and the Plumley brothers, and uh, you know, the list goes on. Ryan Kelly. There's just this endless list of guys who, who stayed for a long time at Duke and and 
basically couldn't even contribute as freshmen and then turned into really great players further down the line. It feels like we don't feels like we don't get that anymore. I mean, the the reality is if you're going to swim in the deep end of the pool, if you're going to recruit the best players, which is what Duke does, and Coach K is not going to go out there and start saying, okay, I'm not going to recruit anyone in the top 10. You know, he's just not. And it doesn't make sense for him to do that. If he's not going to do that, if he's going to recruit the top players, and if he's the, one of the best recruiters around, and Duke is one of the top destinations around, and we want to have the very, very best players, then we're going to get one and dones. Um, that's, that's just the reality. And, and as fans, it kind of sucks, but it's also kind of what we have to live with, what we have to deal with. I mean, there are fans out there who go, look at UNC. UNC didn't have any one-and-done players. I mean, that Tony Bradley, maybe. Oh, they, they went to the championship last year. They won a title this year with a bunch of guys who were juniors and seniors and all came back and stuff. Um, well, but the reality is UNC recruited those guys, recruited a lot of the same guys that Duke ended up getting. UNC got lucky, so to speak, and, and a few guys who probably had one-and-done talent didn't play very well their first year or two. Justin Jackson, and as a result, they showed up in school in school for longer than we expected. Um, and uh, there are other schools like that. Everyone wants these guys. It's not like Jill Okafor and Tyus Jones weren't recruited by every school in the country. It's not like you know Wendell Carter and Trevon Duval weren't recruited by every school out there. Everyone would love to have these guys. Duke gets them, and the benefit of getting them is that we get to watch these guys for a year and we get to be amazed by the things they do. But the downside is, in many cases, we only get to watch them for a year. I'll say this: I'm I'm pleased. Um, I'm pleased that it looks like Duke may have gotten a couple more guys who are going to be longer-term players this year, um, in, in Alex O'Connell and Jordan Tucker, especially. And and yeah, you know, it's hard to say. Gary Trent. I, I think there's a decent chance Gary Trent comes back. We have to see. Yeah, we haven't seen him play, but. Um, you know, O'Connell and Tucker feels like guys who will be there for a while. Delorier is probably going to be at Duke for a while. Um, you know, I want our roster to have a few more of those guys. Uh, it 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 sucks that Grayson Allen as a senior and Antonio Vrankovic as a junior are the most experienced players in this team. Vrankovic, you know, has barely played basketball for Duke, and and he's the second most experienced guy on the roster. Um, uh, and that's that's a pity. Donald, uh, did you have anything to add to that? Yeah, so I think, you know, when people are talking about one and done, first of all, I strongly urge people to let this go in the sense that guys aren't one and done until they actually leave. I mean, remember in 2015 when uh, Grayson Allen had a great Final Four and a great postseason, and everybody said, oh, he's about to go pro. Uh, he should leave now. And he came back. He was not a one and done. We obviously had three that year that were that were freshmen that left. But these guys aren't necessarily one and done players until they declare for the NBA draft. So I think what happens is, you know, first of all, we try to get these players. People want these players. And then we label them one and done before they've even signed on the dotted line, thus pushing them out the door and thinking that giving them the thought that, yes, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Sometimes these guys want to stay in college. Sometimes they want to learn. Sometimes they want to grow as a player on the college scene and learn from the best coaches. And I think the label one and done is kind of a misnomer because these guys, until they leave, haven't done that yet. And it almost sounds like we're pushing them out the door before they even get in the door. But also, I just want to give a little stat. How many, do you guys know how many players that we had before 2015 that went pro after their freshman year in the history of Duke? I think it's five like four. Five. five guys. Correct. Five guys. Corey Maggette, Lul Deng, Kyrie Irving, Austin Rivers, and Jabari Parker. Now, we had three in 2015. We had three this year, and we had Brandon Ingram last year. So that number skewed. But before 2015, we had the equivalent of what Kentucky used to send to the NBA every single year. So for us, for people saying, oh, we're Kentucky now, that's far from the case. You know, Kentucky is get again, like Jason said, they're, everyone's going after these guys. It's just that we're getting them. Uh, Brandon Ingram, remember, was a UNC player through and through until their issues or the academic uh, scandal popped up. And then we got on his radar and he ended up playing for us. 
Now, if he played for UNC, he probably would have gone pro after a year. If, you know, some of these guys that were considering Kentucky and Duke end up going to Kentucky, best believe they would be, they would be going pro after a year. So it's not that we have an issue. We're going after the best players in these, college, in these high school classes, and we're getting them. If they end up going pro, that's what we want. We want to see the brotherhood. The brotherhood is bigger than just Duke University, and I think that is what they have been harping on, especially when they talk about all these guys that play in the NBA. We have more players in the NBA that played for Duke University for one to four years than any other school on the planet. So that is something that we want. We want to see these guys eventually make their leap to the pros. We want to see them do well. And wherever they go, they represent Duke. And that is, I think, I think that's where I'm going to leave it. They represent Duke no matter whether they have a Duke jersey on for more than one year or not. You, yeah, you know, I, wait, wait. Uh, re- really, sure. really quick. And then, Sam, I know you want to chime in on this. You brought the subject up. Um, uh, to me, the key is not the one and dones. The key is the guys who you know, aren't a top 20 recruit and who should stick around for a little bit longer. And, and do we develop them? Do we get them time? I mean, look, uh, you know, in recent years, Michael Binajay didn't play at all at Duke, went, some, went to Syracuse and turned into an all-ACC player at Syracuse. Uh, Semi Ojale, whose name I probably just mispronounced terribly. Nope. I, you I actually always... performed that pretty, pretty well. Oh, thank you. Uh, Shemi went, uh, went to Duke couldn't get playing time, transferred to SMU, um, turned into the best player in, the, in whatever conference SMU plays in, led his team to the, the NCAA tournament, East? and is now going to... Yeah, n- no. The no, they're no. the American Athletic. Oh, the American. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I don't know but, the difference between those two. One of them plays football. Yeah. American uh, does. And, 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 and Shemi's going to be a, uh, you know, maybe first round or probably a second round draft pick. Um, uh, Chase Jeter just left Duke, although I don't blame that on playing time because Chase got playing time this year. Um, if Javin Delorier doesn't get playing time this year, uh, that's where I'll be frustrated. The, the key for Duke is, uh, and I put this on Coach K, um, and I put it on the players because the players have to you know, earn it in practice, but the key is, yeah, we get the, one in, the top 10 one-and-dones, but we also get a pretty fair number of top 30, top 40, top 50 kind of kids we have to develop those kids a little bit more. We have to give them a few more chances. Those are the guys who need to stick around and turn into Emil Jefferson and Matt Jones and the and Quinn Cook, players like that. Uh, and that's why I think Duke has come up short the past couple of years. And as a result, we are now stuck with you know a situation where we feel like we don't have many experienced guys. And we lost seven of our top eight players from last year. Um, if, if Shemi was still around, we wouldn't feel that way. Um, if, you know, if we developed Delorier a little bit more last year, we wouldn't feel that way. Uh, and, and so yeah, and, Jordan Tucker and, and, and Alex O'Connell, it's on them and on the Duke coaching staff to get them time this year. I'm, I, I, I look at that same sort of issue and I think it's incredible that Duke got as many, you know, non top 15, top 20 recruits as they did this year. Right. I mean, Tucker and and O'Connell should both be getting minutes at at Division One program, at good Division One programs at, at Power Five schools this year, and they're not going to. Let me tell you something. Uh, hey, you know. let me tell you, Jordan Tucker, Syracuse, Syracuse is a top top program. Syracuse right. is a really good program. They were and they recruited him for four years. Mm-hmm. They, they they wanted him so badly. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I mean, it, like, it's kind of amazing I, that this kid. Well, and it shows you the attraction of Duke because both O'Connell and Tucker were lifelong Duke fans. I mean, O'Connell, you know, comes by because his dad played for Duke, but, but Tucker was a kid who was like, I've always wanted to play for Duke. And both these guys, they got an offer and, it, and they committed within days. Right. And, and, and like, like I said, Syracuse had been chasing him basically his whole high school career. They wanted him. They wanted him badly. And, and Syracuse is a great program. You know, I, no one really knows what's going to happen with Jim Beheim over the next couple of years. But if you go to Syracuse, you're, Still playing in the ACC, you're playing in front of the most fans in in person that uh, more than anybody else is. Um, you're getting just as much exposure as you are at any big school, and I, I think it really speaks to something that 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 Duke is doing right on the recruiting trail because you know you can imagine all the for all the negativity surrounding one and done and and how you know guys transfer out of the program every year. Um, coaches, opposing coaches can use all that against Duke, and and 
I can't imagine that it's fun for opposing coaches to try to recruit against Duke because there's a whole litany of things that you can say about about how Kaisley Verley got lots of guys transfer, um, guys transfer and still do well. So it's not even like Duke is, is ruining their lives. It's just not the place for them. Um, there are lots of ways to recruit against Duke. And even with that, they still get great kids every year. And um, they still manage to send guys to the pros. And they still somehow manage to get these lower level guys who aren't, who aren't bad players by any means. They're just behind the, you know, top 15 type talent that, that Duke seems to get a couple of every year. So um, there's still obviously something there that is attractive to those kinds of players. And, and we're really fortunate that, you know, we get those one and done guys and that we get those lower level guys. I'm, you know, I, I brought this up because I'm lower you know, level, I, level. I, I, lower level. <laughs> well, these are guys that, these are guys that would oh, be that, that like, they, like they I would, said, they're, they're still yeah. great players, but they're not going to play their freshman years at Duke. And, and if, if Jordan Tucker had gone to Syracuse, he would be, I don't know if he'd be the best player on their team. They had a lot of good players last year, but, no, but, but he'd be he the starting be, lineup. He'd be a starter. He'd be a starting lineup. He'd be scoring a lot of points for them. Um, um, and at Duke, he's going to be, you know, he could be lost on the bench for two years. Um, and, and, it, and it wouldn't even necessarily reflect poorly on him because there are just going to be so many guys around him. And Duke is chasing a lot of, a lot of top guys in 2018. Um, so, I, you know, I, I bring it up just because I, I'm kind of of all minds here about sort of how I feel about it. On the one hand, it's a real shame um, that, that guys leave early. You know, like it, when you ask, let's say we're doing this podcast in 10 years, you know, and, and we're reflecting back on these teams. And I think that, um, you know, when the three of us talk about, about Duke players, we really, we really kind of focus on like the, like the end of the Singler Shire Smith time, like from 2010, basically to now is when we like, is where we try to do most of our analysis. Cause I think that's the time frame that most fans are familiar with. It's the most recent um, in 10 years, if we're still doing this, like we're barely going to mention Brandon Ingram, right? He, he was there for one year. The team, the team bounced out of the tournament really early. Um, he was really fantastic, but but it's almost like he didn't get a chance to really make his mark. We're going to say perhaps the same thing about Jabari Parker. Um, we'll look back on the 2015 team and, and talk about those guys, but uh, you know, and, and, and we'll reflect fondly on Austin rivers because of one shot. Um, if Austin rivers doesn't make that shot against UNC, he's, he's basically a footnote at, at Duke basketball, despite the fact that he's a first round pick, he's playing in the NBA and all those things. And I think it's really, it's a bummer um, that, that it has to work out that way, even though as Donald points out, it seems like these guys stay connected to the school. They come back um, to, to watch the games and, 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 you know, sort of participate the way that any alumni do. And they represent Duke in the pros. You know, you, there's all kinds of stories about the, the Duke guys who like to get together, even though they're on opposing teams and they, they still root for Duke and make bets on Duke and all these different things. Well, yeah, I, I was and, that's, that. and that's all great, but it, but it, it's, it, it's a shame that, 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 that these amazing players, the best Duke's best players in the NBA are going to be footnotes in the actual Duke basketball annals. Um, and well, the, the most prominent guys are guys like Quinn Cook, who who's going to play in the NBA, but not very much. So I, I was going to say our, our, you know, in 10 years, our impression of, um, of Jabari Parker and Brandon Ingram will be based on what they did in the NBA. You know, based right. on their NBA it, it, careers, it, it won't be about because their we're, not gonna, right, we're not going to. We're not going to remember their college career. Uh, yeah, it, and, and it's it's a, it's a real pity. It is, um, and and I I, I kind of wish it was different, but I, I also certainly you and you guys are the same way. I think we're all reasonable enough that that we came to terms with the fact that this is how it is. Um, you know, some time ago, um, and and maybe maybe things will will have to change when whenever Coach K decides to retire, because um, I'm not sure that a a fresh new coach is going to be able to continue sort of that pace of recruiting because it's really only coach K Calipari. And then, and then to a slightly lesser degree, Sean Miller at, at Arizona who maintain this pace of, of picking up tons of guys every year and sending lots of freshmen and sophomores to the draft. Nobody else does it. Um, so you got to be an experienced coach at a high level for a long time before you really have the chops and the, um, and the reputation to get this many dudes to commit every season. Um, well, so Kansas, I think Kansas, Kansas comes close, and, 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 and yeah. Kansas, sorry, and Kansas with uh, with Bill, Bill Self. Self. I, I, but if, if I, you I, keep I, in I, mind, keep in mind this. You know, when the one and done rule started, what a lot of people you, you're talking about the guys that played here one year, like the Rodney Hoods, the the 
Brandon Ingram's like those guys. I mean, Rodney Hood wasn't a one and done, but he was here for one, basically one season. And, and you think about those guys and you say they probably won't be rated based on their performance at Duke, but mostly in the NBA. But people still remember that they went to Duke. If you guys recall, does anyone remember the last person who went from high school to the NBA before the one and done rule came into effect? It was Sean Livingston who committed to Duke. And in the summer, right before the draft, right when they instituted the rule and said, this will be the last draft that has high school players, he, could, he decommitted from Duke and declared for the NBA draft. So he could have been at Duke for a year or two. Um, but even still, when that happened, there was a, a period of about five years where we didn't really go after these players. Or, or, or for the example, maybe we were losing them. Maybe these guys that were coming were just committed to staying for two, three, four years. Or we just weren't, that wasn't the mentality of the players that we were getting. This rule well, is going to change. I, I, think, I think a lot of it was, um, it wasn't as fashionable to be one and done. Um, and, and it has become more and more and more fashionable, uh, you know, to, to stay in, in, in college as short a time as possible and, and rush to the NBA. The other thing is the NBA changed some of the rules about um, when, you know, rookie contracts and when you became a free agent and when you made big money and the such. And so all the players um, want to get to the NBA as quickly as they can because they want to start the clock toward free agency because their rookie contracts are piddling. It's, it's nothing compared to what they earn once they start getting to, to be a free agent. And so, um, the, the, you know, when people talk about, oh, you know, if he comes back to school for a year, he's giving up, um, you know, a million or $2 million or $3 million of, of what would be his, his rookie contract. No, what he's really he's giving up a year at some point in the future of his free agent contract, which if, if a guy plays well, is going to be 20, 25, $30 million. But here's the thing with, even with the contracts, They've gone up in the last couple of years because of the increase in salary cap, the, the dramatic increase in the salary cap. I think if you're a top three player, a top three pick in this year's draft, you will earn $7 million this year. Four years ago, it was only $3 million. So some of these guys are probably saying, hey, look, if I come out in one of these two years before this cap money kind of takes solid hold, I can get more money than if I wait. So, and also this rule, this one and done rule isn't going to be the rule for life. They may eventually either go back to the where it was before, or even institute a two and done rule. Um, there's talk that I mean, it's not going to happen for a while, but I think there, that's something that's always going to be talked about in NBA circles because they're not worried about the college game; they're worried about the NBA game. And if it comes to the point where the union says we want to protect the veterans that are in this league uh, from you know thirty, forty, you know uh, freshmen coming out every single year, then they're going to either change the rule or they're going to change something about it that makes it, uh, that, that desensitizes, or, or what's the word, uh, devalues the, the art of going pro after one year. And they're going to try to discourage guys from coming pro after one year. But that's not what they're at right now. And so, with the money that's there, players are still going to do that. And we have to go after the best players. So, so let me, I'm, I'm a little bit... Um of an aficionado on this, on this topic. I've, I've read a, a tremendous amount about it. The Players Association, I, I always thought, I'm like, why doesn't the Players Association want a longer um, period of time of guys in college? Because it, like you said, it protects current NBA players. It protects current members of the Players Association. Should not want competition for their jobs. The bottom 20 guys in the NBA this year, if there was a two and done instead of a one and done, rule the bottom 20 guys in the NBA this year would keep their jobs instead they're going to lose them mm -hmm. um, and you would think oh the players association should want this they don't and here's why the players association's stance is they are in favor they will advocate for as much freedom of movement for NBA players as possible they want more free agency. They don't want guys tied up by contracts. They don't want guys limited in the draft. So the Players Association's position on this is our, our, our players need to be able to move around to the best situation they can have as often as possible um, and, and as easily as possible. And that's and why so they have shorter contracts why. for more money. Um, that is one of yeah, the reasons yeah. that they I fought mean, for shorter contracts and not longer contracts, which is what you would think a lot of 
players would want is longevity and, and stability. They went for the shorter right, but, contracts for that reason. Yeah, and, and it's also the reason why the Players Association says we don't, they don't even like the one and done rule. They would rather have a zero and done rule. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll tell you what I, so a lot of people say, oh, we need a baseball model, um, which the baseball's model, of course, is you can go pro out of high school if you want, but if you commit to college, you stay in college for a minimum of three years. And everyone says, this is the model that, that should work for the NBA because there are guys who are ready in high school. LeBron James didn't need to go to college for a year. Um, to be honest, uh, Lonzo Ball and Markel Fultz didn't need to go to college for a year. Jabari Parker didn't need to go to college for a year. There are guys who are ready right out of high school. And so people, people say, oh, we should ha either say go pro out of high school or commit to college for a few years. I actually have a better solution. I have a better idea. And no one listens to me when I say this. So I'm going to force you guys to listen to me for a second. My idea is I said that the key to this was how quickly it takes for you to get to your first free agent contract. I think your time in college should be tied to how long you are under your rookie contract. So that if you're a kid who comes out in high school or your first year, you're tied to your team for, let's say, five years or six years. Um, now, it's team options. The team could choose not to exercise your contract, but if the team wants to keep you under control, they can keep you under control for like five years. If you're a guy who plays two years in, in college, they can only keep you under control for four years. If you're a guy who makes it to his junior year, they can only keep you under control for three years. And I think it should still be three years if, they, if you play until your senior year. But that would, that would allow guys to sort of start the clock ticking on becoming a free agent a little bit quicker if they stay in college. It's almost um, like you're, that's, you're, you're tying their free agency just to their age, um, which, which makes sense. I, I don't know if, if they'd be able to do it, but um, it, it certainly would create the appropriate incentives. Yeah, it, it would be. And look, it would mean a guy like Miles Bridges out of Michigan State. Miles Bridges has decided, decided not to enter the NBA draft. He probably would have been a late lottery pick um, or, 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 you know, a mid first rounder. Um, and he's coming back and he, 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 he will be one of the front runners for player of the year next year in, in college basketball. And he, he will, Michigan State's going to be one of the best teams in the country because he's coming back. Um, I don't know how Tom Izzo did it. Um, props to him. But uh, a guy like Miles Bridges, to me, shouldn't be penalized, shouldn't lose a year of free agency because he chose to come back to school for another year and get better and work on his game and play in games and work on his game as opposed to sitting on the bench, which, which a lot of these you know, young guys, these 20-year-olds these who come into the draft after their freshman year, a lot of them, they don't get a lot of playing time right away because they're not physically mature enough yet. Um, and I just wish the NBA had a way of addressing this and making it more fair and providing at least a little tiny bit of an incentive to guys to stay in school beyond their freshman year. I like okay. it. Okay, um, let's uh, let's wrap up. I think that was a that was a great discussion. And Jason, your idea is very interesting. Um, as as usual, um, feel free to comment on any and all of this uh, on our forum post at, at forums.dukebasketballreport.com. We'll uh, we'll wrap up here. We've we've actually been on longer than I, I think we expected. Um, Jason, do you have a parting shot on top of your uh, your interesting NBA draft eligibility free agency proposal? Yes, we are the Duke Basketball Report, but we pay attention to other um, Duke sports. And I wanted to give a quick shout out. Uh, Duke has three count them three teams. They're still very 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 much alive for NCAA championships. Um, first of all, is our lacrosse team, the men's lacrosse team, which just beat the pants uh, out of Johns Hopkins over the weekend. Um, they beat Johns Hopkins 19-6 to in lacrosse. Um, if, if you're not a big lacrosse fan, that's an ass-whooping. Um, <laughs> 19 goals is a that, ton of goals. That's a technical term. That is the tech. And six goals is not a lot of goals. So Duke scored a ton, and they didn't give up many. They whooped Johns Hopkins. Duke will be playing in the, I believe it's the quarterfinals of the NCAA tournament against Ohio State. Um, uh, the game is in Hempstead, New York over the weekend. Um, I like Duke's chances a lot here. They're on a good side of the draw, a good side of the bracket, I think. Um, and I think Ohio State, even though Ohio State is the number three seed in the tournament, I think Duke has a really good chance in this game because Ohio State got the number three seed because they played really well in the Big Ten. And the, the, t the tournament committee seeded Big Ten teams really highly, and almost all of them lost. The Big Ten had a terrible first round of the tournament. I think it, it was a fraud of a conference. They all, you know, got highly ranked because they played each other. 
And I think Ohio State, I think Duke has a real good chance in this game and could make it to the semifinals, which would be great. I also want to mention that the men's golf and the women's golf teams are also um, in the, the thick of the hunt for the end, for an NCAA championship. The women's golf has already advanced out of the regional um, and, and they are playing, uh, I think, this weekend in the, in, the, in the national championship tournament. The men's team um, is still playing their regional. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday night. Tomorrow, Wednesday, will be the last day of their regional, but they're in great shape. They're in second place in the regional. The top five teams will advance to the NCAA finals, and it looks very, very much like the men's golf team will advance to the regional finals, uh, or advance to the NCAA finals. Um, and, and it's just, you know, it's great to see these other Duke teams Really, really doing a, a fabulous job. Um, you know these athletes representing the school well, and and has a ch- they all have a chance to to earn a ring, which is a really, really special, really cool thing. So go lacrosse, go men's golf, go women's golf. Great, thanks for that one, Donald. Uh, very quickly, I was just going to make a note that uh, in a couple weeks, since it probably will be a few weeks before uh, we record again. Um, I will be traveling to Sam's hometown of, or not his hometown, his current town uh, of Denver, Colorado. And, and Sam and I will, I will be giving Sam his first American Outlaws experience at a U.S. soccer match. Uh, looking forward to that. Looking forward to seeing uh, one third of the, of the triumvirate that is the Duke Basketball Report podcast. And uh, it should be a good time. So Sam, looking forward to seeing you in the flesh in a couple weeks. Yeah, I've got my uh, I have this great Uncle Sam hat that I uh, that I wear on holidays often. Um, so I, I plan to be wearing that to the game. I hope that's acceptable. That is acceptable. And we'll get you we'll get you kitted up as well. All right. I, I love it. I love it. Um, my uh, my only thing to add um, also as a sports fan, um, but not as a Duke fan, is uh, that Donald mentioned that I that I now live in Denver, uh, which I think most folks who listen know. Uh, but I grew up uh, in Maryland outside of Washington, D.C. I am a Washington, D.C. sports fan. And um, let me tell you, and, and I'm not a, unfortunately, uh, unlike Donald, I'm not a D.C. United fan. It just, it, it wasn't a part of my childhood. Um, but I do root for sort of the, the big four sports, the um, the Nationals, the Capitals, the Wizards, and the the football team, um, although much, to a much lesser extent. And uh, man, it stinks. Um, the, the Capitals and Wizards both lost in their, uh, second round matches in the last month, and um, DC hasn't been to a conference final since 1998, um, when I was in second grade, I think. So um, it's uh, it's a real bummer. I, I I can't quit them. I'm you know I, I spent this podcast. We're recording this on Tuesday night. I spent this podcast kind of glancing over at the national score and seeing them win a game. Um, and and I know just looking ahead at October that they're gonna that the bullpen's gonna blow a bunch of leads and they're gonna lose in the first round again. Uh, and it's going to be total heartbreak, and this is just how it is, man. Um, so uh, to all you who root for cities that aren't Washington, um, thank your lucky stars. Uh, and, and also to everybody who listens to this show, I guess, thank your lucky stars that you're a Duke basketball fan because you get to have championships every few years. And um, those of us from Washington who don't have that, um, well, it, it, it's a real shame. So, it's been a real, uh, real depressing week here in uh, in DC, uh, the hashtag DC sports is, is something that pops up frequently every May and it's usually not for good reasons. And, uh, no, it, it, it was, there was plenty of opportunity to use that hashtag in the last week. There were two game sevens and both of them ended in heartbreak. So, uh, I, 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 I'm a Detroit fan, but I also root for, uh, for the Washington teams outside of football to do well. Um, so it was very disappointing to see. I, I was, I think the team Tom was really looking forward to, uh, at least having the wizards in the conference finals and, and taking a shot at the big apple. That is, uh, the Cavaliers. Um, but as they say, there's always next year. Yep. Um, and don't worry, they'll lose in heartbreaking, fa- in, in, in soul crushing fashion. Um, once again, so they're consistent, um, uh, shout out, shout out to my, to my hometown. Uh, with that, um, Dude, wait, 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 I'm from Atlanta. Yeah, you Uh, won a championship in 1995. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) In 1995, you were barely alive in 1995. Actually, actually, that's the first, the the Braves championship in 95, I think is the first sports championship that I remember. Um, um, And they were great for a long time. The the Braves were like the best team in baseball, other than the Yankees. For, like, uh, for basically my whole childhood. 
yeah, for like 10 yeah. or 12 years. Yes, I know. And now they suck. Wait a second. Yeah. There, you cannot use the word soul crushing. You cannot use the word soul crushing. Forget about your Super Bowl loss. Of that Super Bowl. You can, I mean, for the next for the next six, we're, we're, we're in a window now. I think we have another three months in the window. And I believe this is written into the U.S. Constitution that that soul crushing cannot be used unless you're referring to the Atlanta Falcons blowing a 25 point fourth quarter lead in the yeah, NFL. That was, that was um, Super Bowl. Um, pretty I'm I'm sorry, Jason. Um, as a Lions fan, I can say at least you made a Super Bowl. So, <laughs> I, dude, I'm not, sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure which is NBA worse. Championship in this millennium. No, no. I was just talking awesome. strictly, I'm just talking strictly Super Bowl. He was like, yeah. a, you cannot say soul crushing in the Super Bowl. Okay, and 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 get any type of sympathy from a Detroit Lions fan. It's just not going to happen because the we bottom line is one. the bottom line is we all root for cities that kind of stink. Um, they, they just have so hard, it's heartbreak. Um, it's great that we're all. It's great that we're all Duke fans. We're very lucky for that. We have right. we have we have all seen a championship in the last three years, and it was That's a true. Duke basketball one. Amen. That's right. Amen. Amen to that. Did so, Nash, wait, didn't the Washington Nationals win win in the last three or four years? When did the Nationals? Shut up. Win? Oh my God! No. What? what are you <laughs> oh, jeez! Talk about talk about talk about nightmares. 2012 was like, and, and no one remembers this because why would you? Um, but the oh, Nationals lost in the first. The Nationals lost in the first round of the playoffs. It was Game Five. They only play a five-game series in the first round in baseball, and the Nats were up by two runs going into the ninth inning, and Drew Storm totally blew it. Yeah, um, and he was one of my very favorite players right up until that point because. Uh, because he was a mechanical engineering major from Stanford, so I felt like I felt like we had something in common. Um, but uh, he also blew it at the end, which I guess is also something that I would probably do. Um, so shout out to my boy Drew Storen. Anyway, too, this is too depressing. We got to end it here. Um, <laughs> this was this was episode seventy eight of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We'll be back. Um, I'm going to say we'll be back before the draft, but don't count on it. Um, we will we'll we'll kind of see how things shape up i think the nba draft is going to obviously be very interesting for duke players so um you'll certainly hear from us about it whether it's right before or right after maybe both um but until next time um for donald wine for jason evans i'm sam klein this was episode 78 of the duke basketball report podcast duke band take us home